You are listening to content from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. For more information, you can find us on the web at ChristOurHopeAnglican.org. And now, here's today's message. So this is the last week of the season of Epiphany, where we have been doing a little sort of short sermon series on the Holy Spirit and his gifts that he gives to the church. Um, And so this is drawing to a close this week, and it feels like there is so much more that we could have said. There's so much more for us to learn and plumb in the depths of these gifts, Um, but we only get one more week here to to talk about it. Um, As we were looking through and going through the book of 1 Corinthians and these passages about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, Um, one of the things that we were seeing constantly is that the instructions that Paul was giving were in response to this conflict that was within the church, the way that they were using the gifts more for their self-promotion and for perhaps even putting others down than they were for the good of the church. So I was looking this week and thinking about that aspect of the, what Paul has been telling us in 1 Corinthians, and I looked at an old article um, in the Harvard Business Review that was discussing how to navigate conflict in a business setting. And specifically, it was talking about how to handle those moments when somebody says something, or perhaps they don't say something, and you feel that negative emotion rising up within you. So like maybe they didn't give you credit for something that you did, or maybe somebody even took credit for something that you did, or you sent an email that you really needed a response, and you just don't hear anything back. And there are these moments where things like that happen where we can start to feel frustrated, we can start to respond and and perhaps be ready to lash out at somebody for the fact that we were neglected. And the article made the point um, that it said that these moments where these negative emotions arise, according to the, the author of this article, usually come as a result of being devalued or diminished by someone else's words or behavior. And he went on to say that our core emotional need is to feel valued. Without a stable sense of value, we don't know who we are and don't feel safe in the world. Now, I know that there are different sort of philosophies of psychology and and how what our core emotional need is is not going to be the same thing. But I do think that feeling valued and knowing our place in the world is really important. And we will absolutely respond negatively if we feel like that is threatened. And that obviously doesn't just happen in a business setting. It happens in our homes, in our families. My, My pet peeve trigger at home is being ignored. If I say something and somebody just doesn't respond to me, like that's, I feel that welling up within me and I, and I want to lash out and, and, and that's like I get angry at that. But it also happens in the church. And I think that it is at least in part why talking about spiritual gifts and this conversation we've had is so difficult for us to do and even why it was difficult for the Corinthians. Because when we talk about spiritual gifts, it raises questions of where we fit within the body. It threatens our understanding of our own value. Throughout his letters to the various churches, Paul often, he spends a great deal of time writing about identity. So early in his letter to the Corinthians, he reminds them that they are those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. 
He tells them that they are called into the fellowship of God's Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. He reminds them that they are in Christ Jesus. He's pointing to their identity, the core of their identity, the, the place where they can really find their value is that they know that they are in Christ, that they have been made part of his family, that they are part of this body even, as he comes to talk about spiritual gifts. Their belonging that they have there is key. But when we get to the discussion of spiritual gifts, we can see how it kind of shakes up a little bit of that understanding because Paul does assure them that everybody has a place. He does assure us that we are all part of the body and all of us are to be valued, but we don't always get the assurances that we want when we come to spiritual gifts. There are two really easy answers to the problem of spiritual gifts that Paul doesn't give us. He doesn't come in and say, well, everybody gets the same gifts. Everybody's got it the same. In fact, if you look at the beginning of our reading today in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27, he says, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So he's reminding them of the security of their identity as part of the body. But then he also says, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all the prophets, are, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? And just in case you might think those are open-ended questions, the way that Greek is, is constructed there, the answer to all those questions is given as a no. It's more like all are not apostles, are they? Not everyone is a prophet. Not everybody has miracles, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. He's emphasizing the diversity of the gifts. So the answer that would sort of make things easy to make our place secure would be to say, hey, everybody just gets the same gifts. That way you know that nobody is valued more highly than somebody else. But he doesn't give that answer. The other easy answer that he doesn't give is he doesn't say, well, everybody gets gifts of the same value. Everybody's gifts are, are sort of going to contribute to the church in equal measure. When I was a kid at Christmas time, my mom was really careful with buying gifts for me and my brother and my sister. She'd keep track of everything that she bought us, and she would make sure that she spent the same amount of money on each of us. Like, she got really good at getting down to like very, very small margins. <laughs> and within that too, the way we open gifts in our family is we like go around and go in a circle and take turns. So she'd also make sure we have the same number of gifts so that nobody ran out before everybody else. <laughs> so she was really careful to make sure that we all felt that we were valued the same in the money that we spent and in the number of gifts that we have. But God offers no such assurances when it comes to spiritual gifts. This passage that we just read makes it clear that there is a priority of authority. There are people who contribute greater amounts to the church. There are those who contribute less. Paul actually leans into this in some of his letters. He goes, I'm an apostle. I'm your spiritual father. I have authority that has been given to me that you don't have. So listen to me. When they get frustrated about tongues in the book of Corinthians, he says, I speak in tongues more than all of you. But that's not really the point. 
The gifts are not distributed to make sure everybody gets the same amount. There's a wide variety of offices and giftings. And for the Corinthians, part of what this led to was a desire to prove that they were more spiritual than others. They could see that the gifts were perhaps not distributed in equal quantity, so they went back to that question of value. They said, the way that I can tell that I'm valued by God, the way that I can be sure of my value in this new church that is forming, is by showing how spiritual I am, by flaunting the gifts that I have been given. And there is a fear, I think, as we approach the topic of spiritual gifts and as we ask God what we have been given, that the answer will be, you've been given something small. What you've given doesn't compare to what others have. And it leaves you wondering about what is your place in the church. One of the responses that we have in this is to take what gifts we have and try to use them not only to build ourselves up, but even to put others down. That same Harvard Business Review article talked about how this happens in business and how it breeds conflict within organizations. It said, the extent to which one person can raise himself up depends on his ability to put another person down. And when this mindset infiltrates the church, when we think about gifts as how does it lift me up above others, How can I use what I have to tear others down? It's incredibly destructive. And I'm telling you that Satan wishes to weaponize these selfish desires, these selfish tendencies against us so that he can tear down the church. He whispers in our ears like Kobe Bryant. Now, most of you probably know who Kobe Bryant is. Kobe Bryant was a... uh, famous professional basketball player who played for the, um, the LA Lakers, and he was famously competitive. He had an incredible competitive drive. So when the, um, every year the NBA has an all-star game where the best players from the teams come together and they're celebrated and they play and not really as hard as they do on, on real games, but they get together and they all get to spend time with each other. And of course, for many people, this is just a, a fun time to get together with a bunch of other people who love basketball. And for Kobe Bryant, I read a report this last week that said he saw this as an opportunity to gain some additional competitive advantage. So when there were two players from the same team who were both invited to the All-Star game, and one of them had received a bunch of individual accolades, he'd go up to the other one and be like, you know, you could do that. You're letting him win the scoring title when I know that you've got it in you you could score more points than he could. And he would sow these seeds of dissent in the hope that later on in the season when he faced the team in the playoffs, that the players would play selfishly. That they'd have this idea that I've got to to go out and get my stats. I've got to get my points. I've got to get my rebounds. I've got to get my assists so that I look better and I look better than him. Satan does the same thing with us. He says, you know, you could be better. Look, look, she's getting credit for that. You can do better than that. And when we allow ourselves to enter into that mindset, when that innate desire to know where we stand rises up into the forefront of our minds, 
then it destroys the church. And so the question is, what do we do then? How do we stay united and healthy in the face of these possible divisions that are not just something recognized within the body of Christ, but they're even seen out in the world as this, this happens within organizations? How do we keep it from tearing apart our particular body? For some, the answer is, let's just not talk about spiritual gifts. If we just don't talk about what we have, if we just kind of ignore it, then I don't have to worry about feeling competitive. I can just sort of stick my head in the sand and, and not remember. It's kind of the same reason that a lot of times people in businesses don't talk about their salaries with other people. They don't want to end up feeling jealous and competitive with other people. But that's not a good answer because God gives us the gifts to use. The answer is not to hide the gifts either, to, to sort of not use them for the sake of, of perhaps feeling like you're, because I'm doing something, now someone else is going to feel badly. The answer that is given to us in 1 Corinthians is that we use the gifts with love. This is the core of what Paul is writing about in this passage. What's interesting here is that the way that he speaks about this, there's this transition verse in chapter 12, verse 31. He says, earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a more excellent way. And there's even some debate as to how this is to be taken. Is this is earnestly desiring the higher gifts? Is this pointing forward to this passage on love? Or is it pointing back to some of the gifts of prophecy that he talks about as being important over, say, speaking tongues? And the answer is that it fits somewhere in the middle, probably. It's a transition here that you can desire the gifts that, that will build up the church, but what you must do, the more excellent way, the core to any gift that you have, is to use it with love. And this is the one gift that Paul makes clear is given to everybody in the church. This isn't something that you manufacture yourself. It's not a feeling that you create within you. In fact, as Paul talks about love, he's not talking about feelings of affection. He's not talking about romance. Paul is talking about a way of acting and moving forward in the world. A way of using the gifts, a way of in engaging others. That we oftentimes say, we'll have the phrase that love is an action, is something that you'll oftentimes hear spoken of in the church. And I would go to just say love is a way of acting because everything that you do can be either done in love or not in love. Every gift that you're giving can be done in love or it can be done not in love. You can be incredibly generous and do so in a way that is not really truly loving because you're looking for your own credit. You're thinking as you give about how you, it lifts you up above others. You can get up here and preach and do so without love in a way that's all about making yourself look better rather than actually trying to build up the body of Christ. You can help out. Even behind the scenes, you can do it in a way that more builds resentment. This says, why isn't anybody else picking up the slack? I've got to do this because no one else will, and I just kind of burn because it's hurting that I have to do it. Or you can do so with love. Love is the key to receiving our gifts as gifts. 
without love, they're almost something that becomes negative because they, they actually divide us and tear us apart. Look here in chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. We probably wouldn't like it if we just replaced our musicians with a cymbal that we just kind of bang together repeatedly in here. No sense of rhythm even. We pretty quickly, quickly clear out the space, I think. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains... These are incredible gifts he's talking about. He keeps on using like the biggest version of the gifts that he can talk about. But he says, if I have not love, I am nothing. It adds no value to who I am. It does not lift me up above others. It actually tears me down, levels me into nothing. If I give away all I have, even if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. There's no merit in it. There's no earning something good because of what you've done if you're acting without love. And then he spends time talking about what love actually is. And so it's important that we spend some time with these verses and see how Paul defines love. What he's talking about here when he talks about, I'm going to love. Because it's very different from the way our culture defines love. And I think even within the church, there's ways that our minds can slip away from the way that love is presented to us in Scripture. We've already said, it's not an emotion, it's not romance. There are ways in which, of course, those are types of love. But that is not what Paul is talking about here. It's this way of acting. And the Scripture here puts it, love is patient and kind. When we're acting and using our gifts in love, we're not in a hurry. We're not trying to make things become the way that we want them to be quickly. And all of these attributes of love that he described are oriented towards the way we think about others. I also, in my patience, am not trying to make you be what I want you to be quickly. There's patience, understanding that there is good timing and bad timing, that the Holy Spirit can work with you over time. Even if I want what is best for you, if I try to hurry up and make it happen right away, then I am not doing it in love, if that is not what God calls me to. Kind here probably is talking, the way that this, this word is used here is an unselfish concern for others. I'm not thinking about what I'm going to gain out of this. I'm thinking about how what I am doing can benefit you. It says that love does not envy or boast. When we are acting in love, we're not comparing what we've been given to what another has. We're not using our gifts in order to try to hope that we can actually be lifted up into the position of respect that someone else has been lifted up into. We're not covetous of what our neighbor has. And we're not using love, we're not using our gifts in a way that is in fact trying to just boast about what I've done. That's talking about my accomplishments. We're not showing off. Love is not irritable. 
or resentful. I skipped a couple. It's not arrogant or rude. When we're using our gifts in love, we're not thinking highly of ourselves about what we have been given. And the flip side of this as well is we're also not thinking lowly of ourselves. We're not really thinking of ourselves at all. There can be an arrogance in thinking about how little you are. That you're always comparing yourself to others. And perhaps thinking, well, I should be better. I should be bigger. There's a sense of arrogance. Instead of receiving what God has given you as a gift, it becomes something that tears you down. It's not rude. Love uses good taste. It has public manners. We're considering how what the actions that we take, how they affect other people, how the words that we say are going to be received. Love does not insist on our own way. An important aspect of this is that if we are acting in love, we are not doing things for our own self-gratification. I'm not trying to help you so that I can sort of have you stop being annoying to me. Love is not irritable. It's not touchy. It's not quick to take offense at things. It's not resentful. We don't hold on to wrongs that are done within us against us if we are acting in love. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. And this is probably talking about others' wrongdoing. In other words, I'm not going to be happy because you have fallen. And now that lifts me up a little bit higher because I've seen you make that mistake. And of course this happens within bodies like this one. But this happens so much on a public level. Don't we sometimes love it when those public leaders that we dislike misstep? And we see them make their mistake, and there's a little bit of us glorying in it. Like, I knew that was going to happen. I knew I was right about them. That's not love. That's not acting in love. Rejoices with the truth. Meaning we're not telling stories and, and trying to control the narrative for our own gain. We are trying to speak the plain and simple truth that God has put forth. Then there's a series here where it says that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. One of the commentaries I read phrases this different because if you are just reading this plainly, you can kind of give this idea that love is just gullible, that we believe all things, right? That means that we just have no discernment if we're loving. I think a better way of phrasing this is actually to talk about love never tires of support. We never get weary of giving ourselves to others. Love never loses faith. Love doesn't give up on people and it doesn't give up on God. Love never exhausts hope. We never stop looking for God to redeem the world. Love never gives up. We cling to God no matter what comes. And we act towards our neighbors no matter what comes. Sometimes there's this sense within certain groups in our culture and society that if things get bad enough, we're just going to hole up 
and I'm going to like start thinking about myself at that point. I'm going to withdraw, and my family and me, I'll stay safe, and everybody else, they can, whatever happens to them, happens to them. And I'm waiting to see if things are going to cross that line, if they're going to get to the point where I just need to protect myself. But love says, no, I'm never giving up. I'm never stepping away. I am going to continue to act with the gifts that God has given me, no matter what, to the very last day that I draw breath. This is love. This is the love that we are called to as the church. Can you not see how this transforms the body if we are acting in this way? If we are truly thinking of others instead of ourselves, if we are using whatever we have, whatever resources we have, whatever gifts we have been given, if we are using them for the sake of others, and we are using them in love, not keeping score, not building up resentment, This transforms the body of Christ. This is how the power of the gifts that we are given in the Spirit are to be unlocked and to be used such that they are a blessing to us and that the world is able to look upon us and say they have something different. And of course there will be times where we trip and we stumble and we don't do this. But we can repent and trust others to approach us and receive us in love, not holding on to the wrongdoings and mistakes, but moving forward in hope. I wish when I was a young man that I had fully understood these verses. I I knew the verses, but I don't think that I fully understood them, especially when it came to talking about spiritual gifts. Um, There was a time when I was shortly out of college I was serving as a deacon at my non-denominational church in Clemson, South Carolina. Um, and I had been leading a house church, and the house church that I had been leading, people had moved away, and it had kind of disbanded. Um, house churches were kind of our version of small groups. We, um, and there was another one that was starting up, and it was two couples were going to be leading it. Um, and one of them had invited me to also be on, on the leadership team. And I had this sense of my gifting at that point, that the gift that God had given me was someone who could speak truth. This prophetic gift that had been revealed to me through some spiritual gifts inventories and just others talking to me. And I was looking forward to using that. And, and I think I even communicated as I was talking like that this is part of how I saw my role in the group of, of like wanting to make sure that we are actually keeping to the scriptures, making sure that we're actually holding on to what God has called us to, that we aren't making things easier than they need to be for ourselves, that we're actually building ourselves up. And I I desired to see us strengthened as a group and as a body. And in one of the more painful moments of my ministry, I ended up having a conversation um, where one of the pastors of the church sat down with the five of us because it was the, the two couples and me. Um, and one of the couples asked me not to be part of the leadership of that particular small group and house church. And they didn't, I don't think they even said exactly why that was. But looking back at it now and thinking about my attitude, I think that the issue was that they actually saw that I wasn't really understanding love. Yes, I had this calling for truth, and truth is good. But when the 
calling is spoken in a way that you're talking about how you're going to guard and make sure that people are, are staying on track, there's a sense in which I wasn't using the gift that I had with love. And it hurt. It hurt to step back and say that I wasn't wanted. It, it raised up all these questions of my value and my place in the church within me. But looking back, I also think it was the right decision. I think that they were wise. If we want to use the gifts we have, if we want to find our place in the church, if we want to understand our place in God's kingdom, we must always use those gifts with love. When we practice the gifts that we've been given in love, there'll be a joy for ourselves, bring joy to ourselves and to others. It will build up the church rather than tear it down. And it also prepares us for our ultimate destiny. One of the points that Paul makes in this passage, um, in that second half of it, beginning in chapter 13, verse 8, he says that love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. The point that he is making here is that if we find our identity in our gifts, the gifts themselves are only for a time. We will not need people to proclaim God's truth to the crowd when we are standing before God himself face to face. We will not need gifts of healing in the new heavens and the new earth when every tear has been wiped away by Jesus and there is no more pain and no more suffering. But what we will still have, what will endure even to that day, is love. In fact, what God is preparing us for, even as we are here in the church, He is preparing us for an eternal dance of love with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are invited to their eternal love, and we get to love one another for eternity as well. So when we act in love, we are not only using our gifts more effectively, we are preparing ourselves to live into who we truly are forever. This is what we are invited into as the church. This is actually where we find, again, Paul circling back around to identity, to remember who you are. He says, when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. What he's pointing to is a day where your identity comes from the fact that God knows you. God loves you. And one day you will know that fully. And you will know it as you grow in love. As you love him more and more, you don't lose yourself as you look to others, as you give, use your gift for the sake of others. You gain yourself, the only true self you have, the self that God has created you to be. Who you are, who we are, is a people who are loved by God, a people who have been given 
the gift of love through the power of the Holy Spirit so that we are able to press into that identity in all of its fullness. It's why we gather and celebrate around the table, why we share in the hope that we have in Christ is because He loved us. Even when we were sinners, He loved us. So this is the call that we have as a church. Remember that you are loved. Know with confidence that God and His Holy Spirit has given you the gift of love where you can act in love. Go forth and love one another. Amen. This sermon is an audio ministry from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you are in the area and would like to learn more about how you can worship with us in person or online, please visit us on the web at www.christourhopeanglican.org.